Good morning to those of you joining us online and on the phone. Uh, we're glad, number one, that we have the technology to do it, and number two, you get to stay connected with your church community, whether you're able to be here or not. And for those of you who did brave the storm last week, thank you for coming. Um, it was a chillier day last week than this, and uh, I was the guy out there that was dressed like, remember Ralphie's brother in A Christmas Story, the kid with the snowsuit that felt, that was me out there if you saw a guy. Um, it was uh, a lot better than last year, Christmas Eve, or Christmas Day when we were out there. We used a lot less salt. Last week, I think we only used about 50 pounds. The week before, or the year before, it was about 150 pounds. So it's a good, I'm glad you braved it. Thank you for coming. And those of you who were unable or made a wise decision not to come last week, uh, we're glad to see you this week. Uh, I'm, my name is Trent Walker. I am one of the pastors here. Pastor Doug, by the way, uh, who preached last week, he is on his way with his wife to uh, Florida. What, uh, the, what's the, the Redneck Riviera, but what's it called? Yeah, Panama City. Um, lots of mullets and sleeveless shirts. Uh, my people. Uh, so we wish them well. Uh, Doug will be off for two weeks. Uh, it's the two of them together uh, this week, and then the following week, Doug will be on a spiritual retreat for a week to just clear his head and spend some time just him and God alone together for a while so they can talk. Uh, today we're in John chapter 5, and uh, for those of you who do mark your Bibles on to when a preacher preached this last, this was on February 2nd, 2020, when we were in this passage. This is not a repeat message, but if you want to get a little bit more, if you go to our website and go to our archives and go to 020220, um, that sermon, you will get a little bit a little bit more. One of the beautiful things about walking through a gospel every year, and so every four years we go through the same gospel again, is that you get to dig deeper. Now, a couple things about the gospel of John, and then I'll give you a little background on this passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Um, there's something about John that most of us know instinctively, but we may not know that it was intentional for John. John, when he tells a story um, of Jesus doing a healing, for example, and that's, we're going to be in one of those today, um, there is always... The, the thing that we're supposed to understand for that individual person. So the healing in and of itself happened. The, the response of the man that was an invalid for 38 years, his response to Jesus happened. His healing, which is called a cure here, happened. Those are all good. But John also sets it up. He's not worried about that things go here to here to here chronologically. He always puts things in a place and chooses words. He never does anything accidental to, here's the surface, here's what happened to this man, but why did John put this miracle before Jesus says these things? There's always a connection. So there's, John is below surface level. I'm not saying he's just deep as a puddle. And then there's another context, and then there's another context. So you can never go too deep with John. So a couple of things to, to watch for in this passage. One, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is on trial at the end of his life. In the Gospel according to John, he's on trial from the very beginning. So Nicodemus, Pastor Doug preached on that last week. Um, Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee, and he came to question Jesus, to, to poke at Jesus, to hear from Jesus. He's testing him. 
here in John 5, he's on trial. And I'm going to just tell you what the crimes are. He heals someone on the Sabbath, and he blasphemes God by claiming to be equal with the Father. So the very first thing, the crimes that he's being accused of and that he's put on trial for are healing on the, breaking the Sabbath rule and um, equating himself with the God of the universe. And then with the part we're not going to read today is Jesus has to call witnesses for himself, and he does that in a, a segment of about five, or five to eight verses. And then, and then he, what he does all the time in John is he takes the accusations from the accusers and he, and he turns them back on them. So they believe that Jesus is on trial, but what Jesus is communicating is not only are they on trial, but the world is on trial. So those are some things to look for here. The other thing to look for, when you get in April, if you're doing our daily Bible reading in April, when you get to the Gospel of John, and we decided to not do John, have you read John while we're preaching John, so that you get this background, and then when you read it in April, it will, hopefully it will have more fullness to it. But when you get to that in April, you'll notice that there's a section starting in John 5 and then through, through 10, where Jesus is doing the all the festivals of, of Israel. So the first festival that he's, that he's celebrating is the festival of the Sabbath. Now that is a weekly festival, not an annual festival, but it is the main one. So Jesus shows up um, at the Sabbath at the temple courts and in Jerusalem, and then in John 6, the Passover, and John 7 and 8, the, t- the Feast of the Tabernacles, and then in John 10, it's Hanukkah. So it's a bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff going on here. Um, the festivals were made by God to bring good gifts to his people. But the Pharisees see it, see the, the festivals as a way to legislate and control the behavior of the people. So God gives these gifts to bring good gifts to the people. And the religious leaders use those same things to control the behavior of the people. And that's what Jesus is calling out. So there's more, but let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Almighty God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are, for what you do for us, for what you do in us, and for what you're going to do through us. We ask that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive what you want, you want us to receive. We, just tell us only what you want us to, to, to hear. Show us only what you want us to see, and give us only what you want us to have. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Okay, John 5. By the way, this, these first several verses are my favorite passage in all of the Gospels. It was life-transforming life for me. I'm not going to give you the whole story, but I'll give you just a little nugget here in just a second. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Think of those like porches. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm getting in, or while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, if you have a study Bible and you look down into the 
to the, to the notes here, you will see that there was a legend. Now, whether it actually happened or not, I don't know. But there's either a legend or a mythology or a tradition that this pool of Bethesda, and I've been there, um, it, it's way down deep. It's been built upon and built upon. So you've got to go down a couple of stories down into the, uh, into the, into the uh, city, down, deep down. Um, but the, the, the legend was that every now and then an angel would come and dip its wing in the pool. By the way, according to Scripture, angels don't have wings. The cherubim do, but not the messengers of God. But every now and then an angel would come and dip its, it, 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 its uh, wing in the pool, and the waters would get stirred up, and the first person in healed. Okay. So this guy is an invalid, and he can't, which means he's bedridden. Some people call him a paralytic. We don't know that, but we just know that he's not able to get around. Could have something like CP, could have something like what we would call Lou Gehrig's disease. We don't know. But 38 years, this guy's been unable to care for himself, and it was immobile. Now, the blind people can hear the water get stirred and get up and get in. The deaf people can see the water get stirred and and get up and get in. This guy can see and hear the water stirred, but is unable to get up and get in. So the life-transforming thing for me was uh, I was in late in college. My dad had just um, converted to Catholicism, and he had had my, his marriage with my mom annulled, and I took that very personally, and I was in a frustrated, angry place, and I went off to this camp in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. <clears throat> I took kids there, uh, uh, young life kids there, and then asked if I could stay on. I stayed on as what they call the town runner. So I'm just in a van back and forth the town getting supplies every day for the next three weeks. So I don't know any of the college students that are there. I'm brand new, and the, the summer staff uh, leader was doing a devotion. I can tell you where we were, what deck we were on, exactly what the weather was like. But he's reading this passage. I've heard it before, but never had anyone show me this. But he said, did you notice that Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the guy doesn't answer the question that Jesus asked. He tells Jesus why he's not well. And then this guy who's trying to pull me into the group, I'm brand new, he looks at me and he says, Trent, do you want to get well? And I went off for about three minutes on, you don't understand what I've been through, and my dad, and this, and that, annulment, and and then I went, oh. <laughs> I just did the same thing this invalid did. Jesus asked me if I want to get well, and I told him why I'm not. Now, Jesus ends up healing the guy. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he does. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But a couple of things to notice when we talk about John never doing anything accidentally. He mentions, and I have no doubt that this man had been an invalid for 38 years. But if you see what John is doing, why he places it here, and what Jesus says after this, there's only one other reference to 38 years in all of the scriptures. And while it doesn't say 38, if you do the math, um, you find out 38 years that the, the Israelites, after they had been rescued from Egypt, after they had sinned by making the golden calf, they were, they were stuck in the desert for 40 years. Right, right? This whole generation is going to die out. No one that was alive in, adult, in adulthood when, when they sin is going to make it into the, to the promised land. But if you think about it, where they crossed the Red Sea and where they need to go to get into the promised land across the Jordan River... Even with all of the hundreds of thousands or millions of people that God has rescued, even if they take a leisurely walk at 2.1 miles an hour, like the average pace of a human being, and they walk from, 
from the Red Sea across the Jordan into the Promised Land, if it's leisurely and you stop for three meals a day, it's not going to take you longer than six months. But it took 40 years. So there was one region of the Negev, of the wilderness, that they spent 38 years in. They traveled around a little bit, but it's called the Kadesh, Kadesh region of, of the Negev. So to the Jews, when they hear 38 years, this man had been an invalid for 38 years, the first thing that pops into their head is those were the people that didn't get to get what God promised everyone else. These are the people that sin so bad that they don't get to receive the very promise, the very rescue, and, the, and the, that promised land that God had given. And so when they hear that, that this man had been an invalid for 38 years, they go, oh, whoa, 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 38, hmm. And they know what that 38 years meant. Those people don't get what God has promised because of their sin. So it starts to pop into their head. Am I one of the people that's not going to get what God, what I'm expecting from God? So there's, when, when they read this, they go, oh, what's he taught? What's he saying? Okay, so if you just look at this man and his, the miracle that he experienced, it bothers me a little bit because I think that after 38 years, and I don't know how long he was laying by this pool, but I think that he could have begged enough money to pay someone to get him right down at the, the, the level of the pool so when the water got stirred, he could go and fall in. But 38 years, if this legend, if this water actually ever was stirred, it seems to be that it did because the guy said every time the water gets stirred, someone else gets in there ahead of me. I think the guy is, if I go back to, to when it was meaningful to me, this passage, I was kind of happy being stuck in anger and bitterness toward my father. It was just easier. I knew it. It, it, it nurtured me, and as often as I thought about it, 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 kept, it, it kept it alive. And if you have someone who you're holding a grudge against, you know what I mean, that you, it, you, you rehearse it in your head over how you were wronged, and it feeds itself, and it starts to burn, and it starts to grow, and it becomes even more. But Jesus says to you and to me, do you want to get well? And often, we have all the reasons why we're not, instead of answering the question that Jesus asks. Yes. Now, the way the Jews saw this, and the way most Christians see it, is that this man was buying into a system that could not and would not ever give him what he needed from it. Here's this miraculous event that takes place randomly, and he is unable to see the miracle about to happen and respond to it. Now, there's a reason John puts this here, because of what he, Jesus says to the spiritual leaders soon after. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who, uh, who told you to pick, up the mat to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd, into the crowd that was there. Now, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And just so you know, that word persecuted here is a, it's particular in Greek. It is the word persecuted, but it's actual a legal term that the Greeks used and it's, that the Romans used, um, and it's prosecuted. So they prosecuted him. They are now putting him on trial. Not, not in a legal sense, not in a, in a formal sense, but nevertheless. And Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, if you didn't notice this, please do. They are really upset. They, no one celebrates with this guy. 38 years he's been laying on a mat. 38 years. That means he's almost certainly in his 40s or older. Might be my age. Everyone's seen him, or maybe they never noticed him because he's one of those people. 38 years, and the first question they the first thing they say to him is, You're breaking the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. And well, the guy that healed me told me I could. And then, that, well, they want to know, and he doesn't know. And so then, then he goes back after he finds out who Jesus is. He goes back and tells them, and they plot to kill a man on the Sabbath. If the Sabbath is that holy, and you're not supposed to do any work, you're not supposed to carry your mat, you're not supposed to walk more than a certain distance, you're not supposed to do all these things, it's a day dedicated to the Lord. And they're upset with someone for healing someone on the Sabbath, and they plot to murder someone on the Sabbath, something's not right. Jesus goes on, and, 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 and it's, it's what's called a diatribe. He, he, he defends himself in a way, but he's also poking at him, and I want to get to the part where he's poking at him, and he says this, and this is a legal, a legal thing. You're not allowed to, in that, in that world, you couldn't, if you testify about yourself, of course, you're going to try to tell the best version of the story. So that testimony is not valid. You need other testimony. So Jesus says in, in verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, John the baptizer, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Jesus motivated in this whole thing. For about their hearts, about their souls, even though he comes off like he's picking a fight, he is pushing and poking so that they might open their eyes and see. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. This is when he's turning it back on them. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. 
How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Ouch. If you met Jesus face to face and he laid into you like that, would you be going, praise God from whom all blessings flow? You'd be on your knees, weeping, praying for mercy. See, these men, these religious rulers, had created a system that they believed guaranteed them that which they seek from it. You diligently study the scriptures and think by possessing them, you possess eternal life. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. So here's this invalid of 38 years. They're all thinking, wandering around in the desert. We're paying for the sins of, our, of those who had come before us. We had been idolaters, even though God had just rescued us. And we're not going to go into the promised land. It's a time of shame for the Jewish people in their history. Not the exodus, not the coming into the promised land, but those 40 years. Here's a guy who was unable to move for 38 years. And here's a guy that's unable to move, and when he's asked if he wants to get well, he doesn't say yes. He gives all the reasons why he's not. This is a man who was bought into a system that cannot and will not ever give him what he needs. The Jewish leaders have bought into a system, have created a system and then bought into the system that cannot and will not ever give them what they need. And Jesus, because he is the light in the darkness, because he is the word made flesh, because he is the, the visible presence of God on the planet, he tabernacled with us. That is the holy of holies. The God of the universe in human flesh is walking and talking and knowing and loving his people. And he's willing to tell them the hard things so that maybe their eyes will open, the scales will fall off their eyes, much like Paul when he was blinded after he had an encounter with Jesus. Paul had bought into a system that would not give him that which he needed from it and came to Jesus and had scales on his eyes. And when God sent Ananias to take the scales off his eyes, it said they fed, things like scales fell off his eyes and then he could see clearly. Jesus is trying to communicate to these people that what you think you see clearly isn't clear. What you think you're doing, you're bringing people to the light or you're bringing the light to the people. It's not light, it's more darkness. If you really believe the things that you've studied, if you really believe the things that you know, if you really, really believe, if you gave your all to the teachings even of Moses, then what I am saying to you today would ring true. But he's saying to them, you do not have eyes to see. You do not have ears to hear. You do not have hearts to receive that which God is doing. He is only doing the will of his father. And if we look around our world today, we can see a lot of people buying into systems that cannot and will not give them what they want from it. We've got the victim mentality. We've got the cancel culture. We've got all the identity stuff. You name it, we got it. And we can look at those people and go, just like the invalid at the pool, they're never going to be well because they keep collecting offenses. And we look at that and go, man, if they would just see 
But folks, there's a question we should always ask ourselves. What if I'm the bad guy? What if I'm the one that is buying into a system that cannot and will not be able to give me that which I think it will give? What if I want religion to give me everlasting life? What if I want my politics to save me? What if I want a hero to come and sit on a quote-unquote throne and make everything better the way I want it to be? What if I'm counting on something that cannot and will not give me that which I want from it, and I'm avoiding the one who does? Is it possible that I look around, just like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law, they looked around and they saw what everyone else was doing wrong, but Jesus told them the very eyes that you have to look at what other people are doing wrong is actually showing how wrong your own hearts and minds are. They bought into the wrong system. They're accusing Jesus of blasphemy even though he's God made flesh. And they're accusing him of healing on the Sabbath while they unknowingly are not able to put it together and show, and this happens in other gospels as well, they are plotting murder on the very day that they're accusing him of healing someone and breaking the law. Is it possible that in our own hearts, we have some of that too? Is it possible that I'm counting on a system, believing in a system, trusting a system to give me that which it cannot give me? We've talked about this over the last year. When we look around at the world, doesn't it seem like it's getting worse? Of course it does. Why? Because God's not the one running it. We are. It's always going to get worse. Do you think the Pharisees believed that what they were doing was wrong? They actually believed that they were holding out the truth of God for his people, that if we would just obey the law day to day, minute by minute, and not break any of the rules, then we, as God's chosen people, will inherit or receive or possess everlasting life. And Jesus comes and says, that's not going to work. Are there places, systems, beliefs, worldviews that we hold that are contrary to what Jesus tells us? Almost certainly. So what would Jesus say to me when I'm counting on something else, not for eternal life, but for salvation, for things to be better, to get my way? I surround myself with people that think and believe the way I do. I live in part in an echo chamber, as many of us do. We're sheltered here in Western Michigan, and I love it. I love Western Michigan. I love the culture here. I love the people here. I love the fact that we can actually not have to apologize for, for, for saying that family is important. I love all of it. And it's all good. But is it the truth? Is it the way? Is it the life? Is there anything in your life, any system that you've bought into that does not align 100% with the call of Jesus in your life? If so, it's a simple fix. Confess, repent, Seek forgiveness. Confession is telling God what he already knows. 
Repentance is saying, Lord, as far as it depends on me, I'm walking back to you instead of walking toward this other thing. And seeking forgiveness is, Lord, I had no idea that that's where I was going. Had no idea that I was walking the wrong path. Had no idea that even though it feels right and looks right and seems right and everyone else seems to agree with it, it wasn't seeking you first. Because we hear in the scripture, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things are good, but if we're seeking all these things, we're not seeking first the kingdom. So the body politic, the culture that you find yourself living in, your neighbors that you interact with, your jobs, your school systems, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, all of it, it's all good. But it's not the good. And if anything less than the good gets our ultimate concern, then we're saying to God, I don't need you. And no one would do that verbally and consciously. But the Pharisees did not believe they were doing wrong. They thought they were doing right. And Jesus called them out. Is there something in our lives that he wants to call out? Let me put that a different way. Is there something in my life that Jesus wants to call out? I can almost guarantee the answer to that is yes. What about you? Is there a wrong system that you're living in, hoping it will give you that which only God can give. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for John chapter 5. Thank you that this man was given his use of his legs back. Thank you that it wasn't just a physical miracle. You restored him to his community. Thank you that he gets to walk back to his family, that he gets to provide And thank you that even though he didn't know who healed him, he still gave testimony to you. And Lord, we thank you for the example of the Pharisees, not because we want to be like them, but because we probably are in some ways. We ask you to convict us as you convicted them. But Lord, help us respond with a yes, my Lord, instead of like they did with trying to figure out how to kill you. Lord, we entrust our lives to you. We accept and receive all that you have for us. And we ask you to transform us from this day forward so that we're buying into the system of grace and mercy and the kingdom of God instead of anything that is less than that. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.